You sing better when the, when the sun's out for some reason. <laughs> no, but we, we're singing about the Lamb and how worthy He is, and we are so thankful to the Lord and, and uh, just uh, appreciate it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin today. Heavenly Father, we thank You because You did send Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. We thank You so much for that. And that's why we sing to You today, Lord. We, we love You. We appreciate You. And, and right now, Lord, I pray that as we look into Your Word, that we would understand it, that we would see how it applies, Lord, and that we would walk out of here changed. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We've been talking about the heroes of the faith, and we've, we've gone through and looked at all sorts of heroes of the faith, and now we're looking at how you too can become one of the heroes of the faith. But to do that, you're joining into an endurance race. There's going to be suffering. And uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about different kinds of suffering. Just to catch us all up, there's... there's a type of, of suffering that we call persecution, which is when we suffer for what other people have done, suffering because of other people's sin. And then we've learned uh, that there's also chastening, which is when we suffer for what we're doing wrong. And both of those are important. And we, we find that with persecution, we, we should rejoice in persecution because in, in suffering persecution, we can identify with Jesus Christ, who ultimately suffered for the sins of the entire world. We find that with, with chastening, we, are, we also are to receive that type of suffering from the Lord. Why? Because brokenness is an essential component to repentance. And God uses chastening uh, because we need it sometimes when we're on the wrong road, we're on the wrong track, and the Lord brings chastening into our lives. And so both of these, both of, both of these forms of suffering have, have a purpose. And that purpose is to bring us closer to him, to, to, to make us strive towards holiness. And so the Lord allows suffering, he allows discomfort, he allows pain to spur us on towards holiness. This is the theological backdrop uh, which, which we have this week. What we're going to look at is, is how we respond to the difficulties in these times is going to determine, uh, determine and define us in many ways. It, it will define who we will become. And the question is, will we, be, will we become uh, victims or victors? You've probably heard that before. The, yeah, we have choices in life between becoming a victim or a victor. But the Bible is the, the only source I have found that actually gives us the answer as to how to do that. Isn't that true? And so that's what we'll look at. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, we'll read together verses 12 and 13. So let's read those together. Therefore... Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. You know, as we look at this in, in verse 12, uh, we, we get a really great description of what, it, what a victim is all about. There are two descriptions that we find in here and both of them just give us a, an actual image in our minds of what a victim mentality looks like. The first description we find hands that hang down. And I think about it. Uh, you've got your hands. In fact, in any sport that I know of, pretty much, uh, I, you hear the coaches yelling to their players, keep your hands what? Up, right? So whether it's like mixed martial arts, you don't want to go in, you know, with your hands down, you go with your hands up, right? In basketball, I remember our coach on defense all the time saying, keep your hands up, right? Because if you're playing defense like this, Got your hands up. It's just, it's just a horrible way to play sports. And, uh, and so 
you, you get this image in here that the, that the victim mentality is someone with their hands just kind of, their hands are sunken down, their shoulders fall down with it. And the second description is similar to it. It's weak knees. It's weak knees. And so here you get this image of, of a victim where something wrong happens. And what, what do you do? You drop your hands and you get weak knees, right? I mean, this is the image that you get. Just kind of, this is... And that's how some of us are living our Christian life. You know, we're living with our hands down and our weak knees. To me, it gives me the image of a child uh, who has just been let down from an expectation. Like, imagine you, you drop off your child at a, at a birthday party and he's loving it. And then you tell him, but, but remember, I have to pick you up a little early because grandpa's got his ballet or something. I don't know. Just, Right? Something that children wouldn't like, right? You know? And so, so you, you go to this, this birthday party, and, and you're there, and, and you get there, and you see that the, your, your child's just having a great time and having fun, and there's cake all over his face or whatever it might be, and he's having a great time. And then you say, hey, Johnny, it's time to go. We have to go to Grandpa's Ballet or whatever. And, and what do they do? Immediately, their body replicates what we see here. Their hands go down, and their weakness. Oh, do we have to do that? But how many of you, whether it shows up physically that way or not, have ever felt that way in your Christian life? I mean, we've been there, right? We feel, oh man, uh, a couple of weeks ago. How many of you were at the uh, church ministries conference a couple weeks ago? How many of you got to go to that? So, good, awesome. And, and it, was, it was great. And the speaker there was Ken Rudolph. And he was talking about this low point in his life where he felt that way about everything. He'd wake up in the morning and say, oh, I have to go to work. And he, worked, he was a pastor. <laughs> oh, and then he'd be like, oh, man, tonight i got a deacon's meeting. I don't want to go to a deacon's meeting. And even as he's telling this story, what was he doing? His hands were going down and his knees were getting weak. Right? As he's telling this story. And he was talking about how bad it was. So he got to the point where even in the shower, if he dropped his soap, he's like, oh, now i got to pick it up. <laughs> and sometimes we get that way in life. Like, oh, could another thing go wrong? I was telling someone about a bad day that I was having uh, not too long ago, and I said, and it just seemed like every light was red. <laughs> you know, and, and what happens, and in fact, what the person said to me was, well, at least it seemed like it. Because we, we notice it more, right? We have these bad days, and, and how many of us have hit a red light and it not mattered to us, right? It happens every day. But when you're having a bad day, it, then you become the victim of that red light. Right? Honestly, if I'm being honest, even this morning, I pulled out of my drive, and, and there's a light there that's just, it's just super long every Sunday morning. And, uh, and, and, and you think I'm exaggerating. It actually is longer. On Sunday morning, I timed it. <laughs> I'm not lying. And, uh, and so I turned there, and just as I saw it, it, it went from yellow to red, and I thought, ah. You know? So I, I turned around, and I went all the way through our neighborhood to go out the other way. Why? Because I didn't want to wait there for that. And then it hit me. Have I not preached this message to myself yet? <laughs> and, and so, why? Because we have this, this mentality sometimes, like, oh, we're victims. And, and this is exactly what we see here. Uh, this dropping our shoulders, weak in knees. And he's saying, and he's saying this in this verse, don't do that. Strengthen the hands that, that are down. Strengthen your weak knees. In fact, this, is, this is imagery is not new. In fact, the writer of Hebrews is writing to Hebrews, right? The Hebrews, they have songs that they have known their whole life. They grew up with songs just like we grow up with Amazing Grace. And how many of you could, could, could quote Amazing Grace or at least one verse, right? We never seem to sing third verses of, of the old hymn sometimes. 
And, and so we, we, we know these words. This is actually a quote from one of the, their famous hymns. And it goes all the way back to Isaiah 35. Keep a finger here. But in Isaiah uh, chapter 35, we find a song of rejoicing in difficult times. And Isaiah 35 was written towards the end of the reign of Judah when they were suffering harsh persecution from the nations around them. And they were going through all sorts of, of difficult persecution. And Isaiah, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was preparing the faithful, letting them know, you're about to be carried off by the Babylonians. But he says, in the midst of all of this persecution, in the midst of all the suffering that you're going to have, you can rejoice if you're among the faithful for God, because as a nation, we deserve this. We need this. And God is using this as chastisement for our people to bring us back to him. And in the midst of this, we find uh, Isaiah 35, verses 3 and 4, where we read, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Does that sound familiar? That's the same verse. So, so Hebrews is quoting one of their favorite Hebrew psalms. But look at the next verse. Says, say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With recompense of God, he will come and save you. Wow. And so he, we find that in the midst of this, this trial, in the midst of, of all the persecution and the, and the pain and the chastisement that they were going to suffer for, he's saying to those who are faithful, he's saying, don't be fearful hearted. Don't, don't worry about that. You can be strong. Why? Because two things. You, two things are going to happen. First, we see that God is a God over vengeance. Right? We see vengeance belongs to whom? To God. Oftentimes I think yes. And we're the hands and feet of the Lord. So therefore I can take out vengeance. <laughs> That's not what the Bible says. Right? Vengeance belongs to the Lord. But we see that God and his sovereignty is a God over vengeance. And so all of those who are, who are persecuting wrongfully, they're persecuting the believers. The, the scripture says, don't worry about it. Why? Because we have a God who is in charge of vengeance and God's in control of all that. And, and not only is he in charge of vengeance, we see in the same verse that he will reward those who have to endure. What is he the God of? It says, um, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense. Of God, He will come and save you. What's recompense? That's paying people for what they've done, right? It's re- the reward. And so we see that, that God is the God of vengeance. God is the God of rewards. He has all the time in the world, actually has all the time in the universe, to balance the scales, does he not? And if we just have, have the, the trust in the God of recompense, the trust in the God of vengeance, don't worry about it. Everything you suffer is going to be worth it. That's the promise that we have, really, from this. Every, all suffering is going to be, to be worth it. In fact, what, what did we learn last week from, from the writer of Hebrews? That all suffering is going to produce what? A harvest of righteousness. It's going to produce holiness. And if that's what we're after, then suffering is a part of the process to get there. And so the writer of Hebrews is telling us, don't... Don't be the victim with hands down and the weak knees. He's saying, he's saying, you know, lift up your shoulders, puff out your chest, march into the, into the suffering. Why? Because you can go confidently knowing that you serve a sovereign God who is, is keeping all the details in his records. And every recompense deserved will be received one day. And every vengeance deserved will also be received one day. Amen?
And so that's the God that we serve. So bottom line, is, he's telling us, is, is we can be strong in tough times because God is in control of both vengeance and recompense. So don't remain victims. Don't walk around with your hands down and your shoulders slumped and your weak knees. He's saying, don't stay there. Don't be victims anymore. You know, it's, it, it, this is, this is the, the mentality that many of us as Christians sometimes take. We look at the news. In fact, I don't like to watch the news that much anymore. Anyone else? like feeling why because it can be so downright depressing right and you look at the news and say oh no now we're not allowed to do this oh or in iowa it's illegal now for 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 churches to refer to a male as with with male pronouns if he wants or if he sees himself as a female you know and, and oh we're losing our rights oh man anyone feel that way sometimes and, and, and this is normal. This is natural. And by the way, you, don't, you haven't lost the right to do it. You just might get in trouble for it. Right? You haven't lost the right. We have a right to do what is right. Period. Daniel didn't lose the right to pray. Remember that? He prayed. Did he get in trouble for it? Sure. And God came through and proved his own power. And people accepted the Lord because of it. So, so is that bad? But here we are. We just want to avoid all suffering. We want to avoid all persecution. We want to avoid all chastisement. And God's saying, no, you need that. You need that to become holy, and you need that for my name to be lifted up. And so don't, don't remain victims, and is what, he, what he's saying. Now, uh, it's not enough to say what we should not be. I mean, the, the writer of Hebrews can't, can't just leave us with, don't be this. Well, you have to know what you are to become. So let's, uh, let's continue, and let's look at what it means to be uh, a victor. All right, so let's, what does it mean to be a victor? Well, we see a good description of that in verse, uh, verse 13. Let's reread verse 12 to, to catch the context. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. The first description that we see of a victor is, is someone that makes straight paths for their feet. Someone who makes straight paths for their feet. Now, this might take a little bit of, of defining because this is an expression. It's a figure of speech that, that's used in Hebrew quite a bit, but it's not used in English, right? And sometimes a figure of speech doesn't completely translate. I was talking with a, a Russian friend one time in college, and, and he just said, oh, I was dreaming of blue almonds. I said, what? Wait, what? <laughs> what you, he's like, you know, you know when your, your mind wanders during the day and you're not asleep, but it's almost like you're dreaming. And like, you mean daydreaming? He's like, oh, yes. But like, apparently, wherever he was from in Russian, dreaming of blue almonds meant daydreaming. So the, it, he would understand that. But then he says it to me in English, and I'm thinking, well, I'm scratching my head. Dreaming of blue almonds, right? Um, we have some people who speak Russian. You can tell me if that's, if that's right or not uh, after the service. But it's true. It's the same thing in Spanish. Uh, you know, I remember talking to a Spanish person, but they were talking in English, and they said something about, do you have hairs on your tongue? I'm like, uh, no, I don't think. You know, maybe small, I don't know how it works. And that was an expression, just like we would say, the cat's got your tongue. Right? This is one of those expressions where, where you find, and the Hebrews, being Hebrew, would, understa- would understand this uh, idea of straight paths because it's all through their Hebrew literature. 
And, uh, and so it's important to understand what, what it means. Here's an example of it and, uh, uh, that we find in some popular verses. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we read, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, talking about God, and he shall, and this part I put in quotes because it's, it's, it's my translation, right? But this is the exact wording that we find in, in Hebrew. He shall make your paths straight. He shall make your paths straight. Um, that's, that's the idea that we find here. Um, the idea behind a straight path, then, uh, this straight path concept, is not that there are no crossroads in life where we come to a point and we have to choose between right and left. And what I mean by that is sometimes we come to a point where, where we, we, we're not sure what to, we have a choice over here and we have a choice over here. And it's not a choice between right and wrong. It's just a choice between right and left. Uh, for example, you graduate from high school. And I remember when I graduated from high school, I looked at two colleges, which really would have taken me in two completely different roads down life. I was looking at Cedarville. I, was, uh, I had an interest in, in pursuing uh, a type of direction in life that was not, uh, not in ministry, but, but that's the, the one direction. I looked at Baptist Bible College, where I would have had the opportunity to, to really study the scripture and understand. But this is a disturbing... Is there something wrong with Cedarville or Baptist Bible College? Is either one of them a sin to attend? No, it's a choice between right and left. It's not a choice between right and wrong. And, and so sometimes we, we, we think that there's this straight path, and they think, oh, no, what do we do when we come to this choice between right and left? That's not the concept that he's talking about. He's not saying that there will never be a, a crossroads in which we have to make decisions to the right or to the left. The idea here is, is that the moral choice is always straight. The, the spiritual choice is always straight. And to go to the right or to the left in that sense is leaving what is morally right. So the moral path in the Hebrew context is always called the straight path. Jesus was referring to this himself when he said, you go on the straight and narrow uh, path. And so this is why Peter says, for example, in uh, 2 Peter 2.15, uh, we read this. We should, they, talking about false teachers, they have forsaken, and then literally what we find here, what? The straight path. And gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages uh, of unrighteousness. So the idea is, is to, of making a straight path is saying, I am going to go in the morally right direction. Not worry so much about the choice between right and left, but the choices between right and wrong, I'm always going to choose what is right. That's the straight path, which is why it's important that we ponder our steps. Proverbs 4, 26 and 27 reads, ponder the path of your feet and let your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. The idea is, is that if, if, you're, if you leave the straight path, if you go to the right or the left of the straight path, you are in evil. So we see very clearly that this concept of the straight path is a choice between what is right and what is wrong. And so here's the point. As Christians, I think we, we worry too much about our decisions between right and left when we should primarily be concerned about our decisions between right versus wrong. Does that make sense? Oftentimes we come to these decisions and we worry about, oh, Lord, I, I, you know, I've got this job offer, but, but I've got this job over here. Should I take this job offer or not? What do we do? And, and, and we're so worried about, do I, do, I, do I take this right or left? 
But here's something that you need to know as believers, something that we understand. If you ever come to a crossroads in your life and you have to choose between two good options or even two morally neutral options, you will never have to worry about leaving God's will. Think about that. You'll never have to to worry about leaving God's will. Why? Because what what we are reminded from, from Isaiah is we serve a sovereign God. He's in control over all those details. Think of, the, think of the, the, the life of Ruth, for example. Remember in the Old Testament, Ruth first had a choice between right and wrong. Her, her husband had died, and she could go back to Moab where she was born, and she could serve the false gods of Moab. Or she could return with her mother-in-law and be a poor person in the land of Israel. Do you remember what her response was? Your God is my God. In other words, there's no choice. I'm going with your God. She chose the straight path. Now she gets to Israel, and she's poor. She has nothing. And according to the, the, the Israelites, uh, the, what it says in the Old Testament, that, that if you had a field and you harvested your field, you were not allowed to have a, a rectangular field. You had to leave all the corners rounded off so anyone who's willing to work could harvest those fields. That's how poor people were allowed to at least work themselves. At least they had food that way. So now she's, joy, she's, she's got a choice between right and left. Because she goes there, and how many fields are there? There are thousands of fields, right? Thousands. She could go right or she could go left. She could choose any one. One of those fields had her future, the love of her life, her future husband. How is she supposed to know which field it is? She doesn't need to. She just chose field. She chose between what is right and wrong, and God led her to the right field where she was going to meet the love of her life who would one day marry her, take care of her, and take care of her family. That's the God we serve. And I think we worry over the things that God says, I already got this part under control. All I'm asking you to do is choose between right and wrong. I'll take care of the rest. I'll work it out. But we forget the sovereignty of God. And so when, a, when, when things don't go our way, we drop our hands and we weaken our knees and we think, oh, I'm a victim. But instead, she marched right into that field and said, I'm going to work hard. That was very attractive to Boaz, right? He saw that. Long story short, they get married. Isn't God great? Amen. Isn't God great? And so we, we see this. You will never have to worry about leaving God's will, except for in the choices between right and wrong. So to leave God's will, that requires sin, leaving the morally straight path. So a victor makes straight paths for their feet. In other words, this is intentional. We, we, we think ahead of time and we say, this is the path that I'm going to take. Don't wait until you're in the middle of a temptation to say, hmm, let's, value, let's, make the, let's, let's evaluate. Should I do what's right today or not? Don't wait until you're in the middle of temptation because the temptation will look really good right then, right there. That's the nature of temptation. But choose ahead of time and make a path and say, this is the path that I'm going to go. And when, when something comes up, that, that's what we do in, in, in marriage, for example. We say, at the moment that we get married, we, say, we, say, we don't say... Um, until someone, you know, I, mar- I pledge to you until someone better comes along. You say, I pledge to you until what? Till death do us part. What are you doing? You're saying, this is my straight path. Fidelity towards my spouse. And you live by that. And when you live by that, the rewards of that relationship are awesome. And I did, I, I did all right, didn't I? I made, made a pretty nice woman. And why? Because... Because when we, we commit to each other, we do what is right. Righteousness has its own reward. Holiness has its own rewards. 
And so we, we live by that. And, and a, a victor is someone who says, I'm going to choose my path, and I'm going to stay on that morally right path. That's where, that's where I am going to be. There's a second description that we find. We look back at the verse 13. It says, And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Now, a couple things that, that need a little bit of uh, understanding here. First, when it's talking about that which is lame, the word there, it's a common word for injury, uh, injured. So the idea is that if you're going to, to, uh, to run the Christian race, right, you're going to face some injuries. Anyone ever take any hits for, for Christ? Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. It, 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 there are times where I, I've had days before where I sat in front of my, uh, my computer and, I, and I'm thinking, I can't even move. I can't, my finger, I can't, I, I can't do, you know, spiritually paralyzed because of something, something that maybe some people in the church have said, by the way, that hasn't happened here. So thank you. But that's happened in ministry before. Or days where spiritually paralyzed, take some hits. And uh, friendly fire is always the hardest to take too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, those, those are the tough ones. But injuries, you know, we, there are injuries. So that what is lame, those injuries may not become what? Dislocations. The, the, the word here, this is a debilitating injury. See, there's a difference between an injury and a debilitating injury. What's a debilitating injury? It's an injury that stops you from returning, right? If you think in the sports world, it's an injury that takes you out of the game. It takes you out of the sport. Uh, and that happens sometimes. You have people, they have this major debilitating injury. And he's saying, he's saying that there's going, there are going to be injuries, but these injuries are not going to result in debilitating injuries. Do you see the difference? A victor is not someone who never gets injured. A victor is someone who, who, who does not allow those injuries to become something that debilitates him from, from continuing to fight the fight. The, the, second, the, the way I worded it uh, on here, the second description here, is that it, injuries do not result in disabilities, but are healed. Uh, injuries are, are healed. Uh, you know, we take a hit spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and, and we can respond either as a victim with our hands down and, and our knees weak, or we can respond as a victor and say, I'm not going to allow this to stop me. Now notice here, by the way, it does not say, it does not say that we have to diminish the, the gravity of the injury. It doesn't say that we won't get injured. It doesn't say that, and, and, and so I'm not talking about a false machismo. Is that, is that a word in English too? I don't know. But, uh, that idea of, you know, I, I ain't got time to bleed, you know, kind of mentality. And, you know, and, and so I'm not saying that the Bible is saying every time you suffer any type of, of persecution or any time of hurt, that we should just say, buck up and just go forward. Come on, you know, don't be a wimp. No, that's not what this what it's saying. You know, if it said that, then it would say that we don't get injured. We ignore injury. It doesn't say that. It says that we don't allow those injuries to become permanently disabling. We don't allow those injuries... But what do we do? We allow them to heal. We, we, we take the time necessary to heal the, those injuries so that we can get back in, into the mix of things and do things the, the right way. Uh, we heal, we don't give up. We, we heal, but we don't quit. By way of illustration, I, I want to share one of my favorite uh, athletes. This is Mario Lemieux. Any hockey fans in here? Okay, if you're a hockey fan, you probably know who Mario Lemieux is, right? And, uh, yeah, you guys are Canadian, so... so um, I, 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 he's one of my favorite uh, hockey players of all time. He's, he's a former Canadian professional ice hockey player. 
Wait, I said that wrong, because he's not formerly Canadian. He's still Canadian. He's a Canadian former professional hockey player. Is that, is that better? And, uh, and so he's, he's a great, great uh, player. He played for 17 seasons with uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins in the NHL from 1984 to 2006. Uh, he's dubbed the Magnificent One, or sometimes they call him Super Mario, because he's widely acknowledged to be one of the best players of all time. Every list I, I could find, he was somewhere in the top ten. The most important list that I could find is my own, and I would consider him number three. So, you know, under Wayne Gretzky and Steve Eisenman, right? Yeah. Steve Eisenman. Uh, that's my opinion. So if you disagree, that's okay. You don't disagree with what the writer of Hebrew says, but you can disagree with me all you want. But here he was this great player. Just you know, he could he could make plays out of nothing and bring their teams back from nothing. He led Pittsburgh to two consecutive Stanley Cups in 1991 and 1992. And under his ownership, the Penguins won a third cup in 2009 and a fourth in 2016. He is the only man to have his name on the cup as talk about the Stanley Cup as both player and an owner. He also led the uh, led Canada to an Olympic gold medal in 2002. Uh, a championship at the 2004 World Cup of Hockey and a, Can- a Canada Cup in 1987. He won the Lester B. Pearson Award as the most outstanding player voted by the players four times. The Hart Trophy as the NHL, NHL's most valuable player during the regular season three times. And the Art Ross Trophy as the league's points, le- or the, the league's points leader six times. And the Conn Smythe Trophy in 1991 and in 1992. I could go on. The list goes on and on. He's a great player, right? So even if you're not a fan of hockey, you now have a little level of respect for him, right? What you might not know is that his career was plagued by health problems that limited him to 915 out of the possible 1,428 regular season games that he could have played because of some type of health issues. Among those, he had spinal disc herniation, Try and play hockey with spinal disc herniation. He had Hodgkin's lymphoma, severe. He had chronic tendinitis of a hip flexor muscle. And chronic back pain so severe that other people had to tie his skates so he could go out and play in the game. Think about that. He retired twice uh, over the course of his career due to these health issues. Uh, In 1997, because of the, the lymphoma. But he returned in 2000. So after a three-year break, because of Hodgkin's lymphoma, he came back to the NHL. Uh, Imagine that. And for a second final time in 2006, after he was diagnosed with uh, atrial fibrillation. Uh, He he missed the entire 94-95 season because of lymphoma. In fact, I remember one time where they thought he was out for good because they they had to take a large section of his intestines out because he he had intestinal cancer. Four weeks later, he was on the ice. Imagine this guy. Uh, and this, despite his lengthy absences from the game, he played and remained at a high level upon his return to the ice, and he won the Hart Trophy scoring uh, the, the 95-96 uh, title. Um, and the list, the list ju- just goes on and on. Wayne Gretzky uh, said at his, at his retirement, he said, uh, you don't replace players like Mario Lemieux. The game will miss him. Not just his team, but the game will miss him. And Bobby Orr called him the most talented player I've ever seen. In spite of all of these injuries, here is a person who, who 
got back up. He healed. He took the time off that he needed to to heal. But he got back up. And you know what? Hockey is just a game. Isn't it? It's just a game. It's a cool game, right? It's a lot of fun. We're going to play some, a floor version of it here soon, right? But it's just a game. Imagine if we as Christians took our spiritual race as seriously as Mario Lemieux took hockey. And said, we're fighting for eternal things. Not to put a puck in a net. Not, not, not to get a team to, to be able to, to lift up a, a cup and, and, and skate around the ice for, for, a, for, for a few moments of glory. No, we're talking about fighting to be fishers of men. Lead people to Christ who are going to spend eternity in heaven. Shouldn't we be way more dedicated to the Christian life than Mario Lemieux is to hockey? Imagine that. And, and so what, this is what we see. The writer of Hebrews is telling us that we need to have this mentality of, of champions. And, and, and I'll tell you what, it is easy to find excuses to be a victim. I mean, it, we, could, we could say, oh, you know, our culture makes fun of us uh, as Christians. And so it's very difficult for us to witness. So what do we do? We don't witness. Our hands are down. Our knees are weak, spiritually speaking. We don't go and witness to people. Why? Because it's not culturally acceptable and we might get made fun of and, and, and this. We come up with the silliest reasons to be, become victims. Why aren't you striving to be more like Christ? Well, you know, I just, I've had a hard time and I don't like, you know, I don't like going to church on Sundays. My favorite TV show is on Sunday morning. You'll, you'll hear the, the wimpiest excuses for why we don't do what God would have us do. And, and it, we see it. it's easy to find excuses, but what we're being told here, don't take the easy route. Don't, take the, don't be a victim. Don't, don't do that. So as we look at the conclusion here, as we look at, at the conclusion of this issue of suffering, and we've seen how the suffering drives us towards holiness, we, we really have a couple of options. One, we could, we could be a victim with our hands down and our, and our weak knees, and we could say, oh, I can't believe another bad thing just happened to me. I'm a victim of another traffic light. Oh, or we can choose to be a victor who says, I'm choosing my path and I'm going to choose a straight path. And I'm going to stay on that path. And, and, and I'm not going to leave that path. And, and, and when hard decisions come, like Daniel had a hard decision uh, uh, where it might even cost him his life if he stays on that path. It doesn't matter. I'm going to stay on that path. I'm going to finish my course well. And then you take hits. You're going to get hits. You're going to get persecution. You're going to get chastisement. You're going to get all sorts of suffering. And you say, I'm going to heal. But I'm not going to stay down. I'm going to get back up and I'm going to get back into the game. And I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And I want to accomplish everything that God's called me to do. Imagine how many times the Apostle Paul could have given up. Like, well, I tried to witness to him, but my ship sank. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty decent excuse for not witnessing somewhere, right? I mean, how many of us said, well, we were trying to witness, but then the ship sank? And he kept going. Well, I went to witness, but, but they, they beat me up. And in fact, they, in fact they, they, the only reason they stopped beating me up is because they thought I was dead. But fortunately, the dogs licked my sores and I came back. I mean, this is the kind of stuff. And what did Paul do? He got up. He went right back. Right back to work. Right? He let his wounds heal and he went right back to work. And we're saying, well, maybe someone might think I'm a goofball if I tell them I go to church. Don't be that victim. Be a victor. This is the choice that we have. Uh, and so as it, as it comes down to it, I'm going to ask you just two simple questions as we, as we conclude today. 
The first, first question, or two series of questions, really. Well, number one, are you a victim? Uh, have, you, have you given up the fight? Have you in your Christian life gotten to this point where you say, well, I'll still float through. I'll call myself a Christian. I'll go to church, but, but I'm not going to fight anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to get back in the game. I'll, I'll cheer people on when they do well. I mean, that's cool, right? Or are you going to say, no, coach, put me back in. I can do this. I, you know, All right, Lord, I'm ready. Put me back in. Give, give, me, give me a job. Give me an occupation in the church. Give me an occupation uh, or, or some kind of charge in my neighborhood, wherever it might be, and I'm going to go to work. Is, is that where you're at today? And if so, today I, I want to give you an opportunity in just a moment just to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what you're calling me to do, but whatever it is, count me, count me in. That's all it is today. Lord, just, I'm coming forward and I'm just telling you, count me in. You, you, you give me a call, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fight. I'm going to keep doing what, what, what we have been called to do on this planet. The second question I want to ask is, are you on the straight path? Are you on the straight path? Or are you more worried about your decisions between right and wrong than you are those between, between uh, uh, excuse me, are you more worried about the decisions between right and left than you are about those between right and wrong? Have you, do you have that victor mentality that says, I am going to do what's right regardless of the consequences. And I will let the chips fall where they may if I do what is right. And you, if maybe today, this is, this is God's, I'm giving you an opportunity to say, today, I'm going to recommit that to the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, I've strayed over here in this area. I'm going to get back on track. I've strayed over here in this area, too. I'm going to get back on track. Maybe there's some things you, you need to repent of in order to do that. Today's the day to do that. Today's the day to get back on track. And, and, and so I'm asking you to come forward. If that's you, I'm asking you to come forward. Don't worry about what other people think. Be a victor, all right? A victim says, oh, I don't want to go forward because... Maybe someone will think I'm guilty of a sin that's worse than what I did. How many of you ever thought that, honestly? Yep, my hand's up, notice. Right? I've thought that before. Don't worry about that. Come up with a victor mentality. And say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to be on, on your side. Chips fall where they may. Whatever happens, happens. I am going to stay on that straight path, and I'm going to do what is right. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you to come forward. By the way, if there's anyone who would say, Pastor Dave... I don't know for sure I'm even on uh, part of this race. I don't even know. If you are not 100% sure that you, that you know for sure that you could accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd ask you to come up and talk to me. Or you can go to the back. We have some men and women that, uh, with a lanyard that says, ask me. They can show you from God's word. And you could know for sure that you have eternal life. But whatever you do, make sure you're in this to win this. In this to do all that God has called us to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, that you did not leave us here without hope. But as we sang even this morning, you're the God that saves. You're the God in charge of it all. And so, Lord, I, I pray right now that if there's anyone in here that's, that's given up the fight, that today you, you would use your word to inspire them to get back into the fight. And to, to get back into the, the Christian race as difficult as it is. Lord, there may be some who have gone through some difficult times. They may have taken some, some serious hits. Lord, I pray that today would be a day of healing. I pray that you would not allow those, those injuries to become debilitating. That they'd get back into the fight and serving you. And Lord, there are many in here, I'm sure. Probably, if we're honest, every single one of us could say in some way we've strayed off the path. We've lost the conviction to, to 
say, we're going to do what is right, and we're going to st- stay on the straight and narrow path. But Lord, I pray that we would be victors here, that we would make straight paths for our feet, and that we would follow your ways. Lord, I pray that right now would be a time that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts where we have failed in that. I pray that you would do a work as you move in our hearts right now, right here. We would get right with you. And I pray this in Christ's name.